Welcome. You're about to listen to a teaching of the Foursquare Gospel Church, VGC District. At Foursquare, we believe in the transformation of communities through the multiplication of disciples, leaders, churches, and movements. May your hearts be blessed and transformed as you listen. We give you every honor that your name deserves. You are indeed awesome in this place. Holy Spirit, we invite you tonight to help us to open up our spirits so that we can receive of God this evening in the name of Jesus. Father, our heart desire is to see ourselves the way that you see us. Our heart desire is to be able to live and do those things that you have equipped us to do. So as we come unto you tonight, we ask our Father that abundant grace be given to us. That the eyes of our understanding be enlightened. That we might be able to approach you in humility so that you would open your heart to us tonight and by your grace Father we will indeed be revived thank you Lord in Jesus name we pray Amen praise the Lord praise the Lord Maybe I'm not the only one wondering why we have uh, such a team for this month. And I was wondering in my heart, I say, after we have fasted for 40 days, now we say, Lord, revive us. So what has been happening in all those days we have been waiting? You know, is it that we have waited in vain? Or we did not understand why we were waiting. But then I remembered the sermon we had um, two Sundays ago, not last, not this uh, past Sunday, two Sundays ago, when Reverend Odega encouraged us. He told us, remove the lead, make room, let there be capacity. And when I thought about it, I said, yes, that waiting time was the time where we removed the lid and we made room, capacity. We put our hearts in such a way that it would be easy for us to respond to God. Because, you know, when we are in our busy doing everything, sometimes it's hard to respond to God. But when your mind is clear, not distracted, you are able to respond to God. So I thought about it. I said, yes, it is only after then we can actually look unto God for revival. And I also love the team because it is personalized. It's not saying revive your church. So as we are going to study tonight, we should be looking at ourselves. It's not saying revive the church, revive our nation. He says, revive me. It is me. 
So as we study together, let's be looking at ourselves. Everything we look at, we should apply it to ourselves. When we are studying the word of God, we are told to do it, look at it from three perspectives. One, what does he say? Two, what does he mean? Three, how does he apply to me? And that's the way we're going to look at it today. Revive me, me, Bernice, Re yourself. We're not looking at anybody else. So it's a, it's, a, it's a personal thing. It's a personal, it says, revive me, O Lord. Revive me, Lord. And our team text is taken from Isaiah 57, verse 15, and Hebrews chapter 12, verses 11 to 12. Um, if we could put up the team text so that we can begin to get familiar with it. Isaiah 57, verse 15. Isaiah 57, verse 15. It says, for this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy. I live in a high and holy place, but also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrite. It's personal. You know, God is saying, I live somewhere very far away. Somewhere that you see me so higher than where you are. But I also come to the level of those whose hearts are open towards me. That's what God is saying. Let's take the second one, Hebrews 12, 11 to 12. Hebrews 12, 11 to 12. Can you put it on the screen, please? It says, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. 12. Say, therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and your weak knees. I think we can go, is that the end of 12, 13, maybe, so that we can see the end of that passage? Make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. It's an encouragement from God. So we just want to look at tonight. The topic I call renew my spiritual vitality. It's personal, me. And the, our text will be reading the whole of Hebrews chapter 12. We would also read extra chapter one, chapter nine, verses one and two. I try to look at the meaning of revival. And uh, I just want to read what I wrote in here, which is also in our outline. It says, revival refers to an improvement in condition, to strengthen or a fortune for someone or something. It could be referred, also be referred to as a restoration to life or consciousness, 
Other words that refer to revival are betterment, advance, upturn, comeback, resurgence, reestablish, reintroduce, renew. It presupposes that something existed that is now substandard and needs to be revived to its original state. As Christians live and interact with the world system, there is the constant temptation to compromise, to get entangled with sin, and to imbibe the practices of the world. Revival is not for the unbeliever. What does the unbeliever do? The unbeliever repents from sin. It's repentance. You turn away from a life of sin. But for a Christian, there must be continuous revival. Why? What did Jesus say? He said, we live in this world, but we are not of this world. And the reality is, as long as we live here, the danger to compromise, to get contaminated, or to begin to imbibe the culture of the world around you, it's the reality, it's tempting. And if God does not continually revive you, you may get to a point in time that you have changed from the original state in which God has put you. And that's why that definition comes where you renew, you reintroduce, because if you are not careful, you'll find out that you have completely, you know, imbibed the culture of the world. And, you know, um, if you read Ezra and Nehemiah, this is exactly what happened to the children of Israel. They went into captivity. And when they got into captivity, they forgot who they, who they were because they were no more in their land. Even those who were in their land had mingled with all their neighbors. They had intermarried with them. They had begun to serve their gods. Some of them even had their idols. So when God called Nehemiah back, he brought with him Zechariah, he brought with him Ezra, and they came back. And they started reading the law of God to the people. It was like an eye-opener. They began to see how far they had gone away from God. I'd like us to read Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. You know, it's, it's Ezra chapter 9, verse 1 and 2. If anybody has this in the house, um, can you please help with the microphone? So if anybody has it in the house and would like to read. Ezra chapter 9, verses 1 and 2. After these things had been done, the leaders came to me and said, the people of Israel, including the priests and the Levites, have not kept themselves separate from the neighboring peoples with their detestable practices, like those of the Canaanites, Hittites, Perizzites, Jebusites, Ammonites, Moabites, Egyptians, and Amorites. Verse 2. They have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and their sons and have mingled the holy race with the peoples around them. 
and the leaders and officials have led the way in this unfaithfulness. It was so bad that even the priests, you know, those who are supposed to know, their leaders, everybody had compromised. Why did that happen? Because they have lived long among these people. If I read Nehemiah, he was saying, got to a point that even their children could no longer speak their language. They, couldn't, they could no longer speak the Hebrew language, the extent to which they had mingled. And when Ezra began to read the law of the Lord to them, they were amazed. They began to cry. And what they thought to themselves, I'm sure they must have been thinking, how did we get here? How did we get here? You mean we have gone so far from the law of God? So this evening, we're going to take time before we go into the study. We're going to read Hebrews chapter 12, the whole of the chapter, so that we can have an insight into the last verse of Hebrews 11 and 12. I would like a fast reader, and then if he's on screen, so that uh, we can do that. Hebrews chapter 12. Okay. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Two, let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. In your struggle against sin, you have not yet resisted to the point of shedding your blood. And you have forgotten that word of encouragement that addresses you as sons. My son, do not make light of the Lord's discipline and do not lose heart when he rebukes you. Because the Lord disciplines those he loves and he punishes everyone he accepts as a son. Endure hardship as discipline. God is treating you as sons, but what son is not disciplined by his father. If you are not disciplined and everyone undergoes discipline, then you are illegitimate children and not true sons. Moreover, we have all had human fathers who disciplined us and we respected them for it. How much more should we submit to the father of our spirits and live? 10, our fathers disciplined us for a little while as they thought best. But God disciplines us for our good that we may share in his holiness. 11, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Later on, however, it produces a harvest of righteousness and peace for those who have been trained by it. Therefore, strengthen your feeble arms and weak knees. 13, make level paths for your feet so that the lame may not be disabled, but rather healed. 14, make every effort to live in peace with all men and to be holy. Without holiness, no one will see the Lord. 15, so see to it that no one misses the grace of God and that no bitter root grows up to cause trouble and defile many. 
See that no one is sexually immoral or is godless like Esau, who for a single meal sold his inheritance rights as the oldest son. Afterward, as you know, when he wanted to inherit this blessing, he was rejected. He could bring about no change of mind, though he sought the blessing with tears. You have not come to a mountain that can be touched and that is burning with fire, to darkness, gloom, and storm, to a trumpet blast or to such a voice speaking words that those who heard it begged that no further word be spoken to them because they could not bear what was commanded. If even an animal touches the mountain, it must be stoned. The sight was so terrifying that Moses said, I am trembling with fear. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the heavenly Jerusalem, the city of the living God. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all men, to the spirits of righteous men made perfect. To Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. See to it that you do not refuse him who speaks. If they did not escape when they refused him, who won them on earth? How much less will we, if we turn away from him, who wants us from heaven. At that time, his voice shook the earth, but now he has promised once more, I will shake not only the earth, but also the heavens. The words once more indicate the removing of what can be shaken, that is, created things, so that what cannot be shaken may remain. Therefore, since we are receiving a kingdom that cannot be shaken, let us be thankful and so worship God acceptably with reverence and awe, for our God is a consuming fire. Amen. Amen. We've taken the time to read the whole of that passage so that we can understand um, where this particular verse we've taken is coming from. The intention of God is that every believer be revived. He recognizes that because we live here, it's likely that somehow along the road, you may get yourself entangled. You may get yourself compromised. And when that happens to you, it makes it impossible for God to do the kind of work he would like to do in your life or through you because you are compromised, because you are entangled, because you have a burden that you are carrying that doesn't make it impossible for you. So as individuals, we should look at our lives and say, Lord, we have spent all this time praying. And the intention is that when we leave this room of prayer, that God will begin to do something great with my life. So this evening, I put a long list of people who need revival. And I started by saying the believer. I did not say the unbeliever. The believer. 
And I tell you, while I was making up this list myself, I too, I saw myself. Who needs revival? Who is that believer that needs to cry to God and say, God, revive me? And the first person on this list is that believer who is thirsty for God. That one that is thirsty for God. You know, that believer that is yearning for God, that is looking for God. You know, just like the psalmist said, he said, his, his soul is thirsting for God. He's looking for him. That is the one that needs to be revived. Because God says, see, I'm, I'm living there somewhere holy and high. But I also come down to men to dwell with them. And this is the person that is saying, God, you say you come down to dwell with men. I want you to also come down to me. I'm going to read Psalm 85, verse 6. Maybe I should start to read it from 4. He said, restore us again. Psalm 85, I'm reading from verse 4. That's the one who is thirsty for God. He said, restore us again, God our Savior, and put away your displeasure towards us. Will you be angry with us forever? Will you prolong your anger through all generations? Will you not revive us again that your people may rejoice in you? That's the one that is testing, that is saying, God, will you not revive me? Would you not bring my heart back to that place where you, you, you were my first love? Where all that matters was you. That's the believer who's thirsty. That's the one who needs revival. Who is looking out to God? Who is asking God? God, please revive me. I'd also like us to read Isaiah, maybe Psalm 42, verse 1. Let's leave Isaiah. We can read that at home. There are many passages I have. I believe that when we get home, we'll read that. But let's look at Psalm 42, verse 1. I'd like to read verse one and two. He says, as the deer pants for the streams of water, so my soul pants for you, my God. My soul tests for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? That's a soul that is thirsty. I want you, God. You know, um, Anytime I'm listening to that song by Dulce, when it says, open the channels of my spirit. You see, I, I, just, I, I just want the spirit of God to be able to breathe into my spirit so that what God is putting in my heart, I will be able to deliver. That's the person that needs revival, that is crying to God, open my spirit. Let me be able to make connection with you so that I can see things the way you see them. My, my thinking will be the way you are thinking too. That's the believer who's thirsty. That's the one that needs revival. Who is the other believer that needs revival? The believer that is sleeping 
That is the one who is weak, who is weary, who is worn out. Is just tired. To do anything has become difficult. There's no fire in the prayer altar. You can't pray. It has become a chore to pray. To do your quiet time, to do your devotion, your time with the Lord, it's a problem. To do evangelism, it's a problem. It's just it's sleeping. You know, it's like, the only way I can describe it is that, you know, when you are sick, when you are sick, the only thing you just want to do is just to lie down there and sleep. You just don't have the capacity to do anything. That believer that is sleeping means revival. We're going to look at um, Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 14. It encourages the sleeper. <laughs> Say, arise from your old sleeper. Arise from the dead so that Christ can give you light. No believer has any business sleeping. Because every believer is supposed to be alert and awake. So if I, we find ourselves in that situation where we are sleeping, then we need revival. We need revival. Who is the believer that also needs revival? The simple. And at this point, I just want to pause. Maybe I can guess. You know, I know that sometimes we say simple. Is it bad to be simple? It's not a good thing to be simple. I just want to take opinion. It's not a good thing to be simple. So don't be complicated. You should be simple. The believer that is simple. Should the believer be simple? Should a believer be simple? Yes, ma. Should a believer be simple? So my sister says it depends on the context in which we are looking at simple. I hold a different opinion. A believer cannot be simple. Because life in itself is complex. And when a believer is simple, when I'm talking about simple, I'm not talking about simple in the way you dress or simple. Simple in the, your outlook to life, the way you look at things, you cannot be simple. Because sometimes those um, simplicity in the way we approach and look at things, they become like carelessness. I don't know how to put it. Thank you, Pastor. It makes you vulnerable. Let's look at what the Bible says about that. Proverbs 1, 1 to 6. Proverbs 1, 1 to 6. 
It says the Proverbs of Solomon, son of David, king of Israel. For attaining wisdom and discipline, for understanding words of insight, for acquiring a disciplined and prudent life, doing what is right, just and fair for, for giving prudence to what the simple and knowledge and discretion to the young. Let the wise listen and add to their learning and let the discerning get guidance. For understanding proverbs and parables, the sayings and riddles of the wise. Jesus, you know, said something to us in Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I'd like us to read that too. Matthew chapter 10, verse 16. I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as what? Doves. The believer that is simple needs revival. And the example that readily comes to my mind is the example of Esau. You saw the way Esau sold his birthright. He regarded the issue like a very simple issue. Porridge. Give me. And his brother said, if I give you this porridge, you give me your birthright to he say what is birthright to me. I'm sure he was thinking, can porridge, can I give me the food, Jerry? Ah, you're going to take my birthright. He approached the matter from a very simplistic point of view. He couldn't have imagined that simply telling him, take it, really meant that the boy took it. Do you get what I'm trying to say? Because if you read the story, he came back from the field and he was hungry. His brother had made porridge. And he said, please, can you give me some of your stew to eat? His brother said, promise me that if I give you, you give me my, your birthright. In a normal way of thinking, would you have thought that that is possible? That just by saying that, he actually lost his birthright. But that was when he lost it. That's when he lost it. So, if we are a Christian who is complacent and everything, you just take it easy. It doesn't matter. There's nothing to it. You need revival. I need revival. It matters. I need God to revive me so that the wisdom of God will come into my life. I will know how to approach things. Who else needs revival? Those who are at ease. At ease in their comfort zone. They're just at ease. They're not bothered. Everything is going wrong. It doesn't matter. You just take it like that. You take it easy. You're just at ease. I beg, I can't worry myself. Whatever wants to happen, let it happen. No, it can't be. Why? Because authority has been given to you. So when you now sit down and do nothing and you're at ease, even when things are not going right, I need revival. I had a personal experience of this being at ease that I'd like to share with us this evening. There was a time I was actually, I was pregnant. And because in my mind, 
I thought to myself that uh, I, really, I really did not want to be pregnant. <laughs> it's not funny. <laughs> you are pregnant and you didn't want to be pregnant. That was my situation. So it was a very early stage in the pregnancy, very early. So it was not even up to three months. I was still quarreling with myself. Suddenly, I started sporting. You know, for women, you know what that means. When you are pregnant, you are sporting. That means you're likely to have a miscarriage. So I was sporting. So when I, when I realized that, and I sat up in my bed and I said, and I said to myself, I said it in my heart. I said, I don't want any wahala. I just don't want any wahala. If this is going to be this way, this thing is going to be, if you want to come down, come down, don't just stress me. Can you imagine that? You are at ease. You understand? What is all this? And I slept. After saying that, I went back to sleep. The normal woman, what do you do? You go to the hospital, is it not? To see the doctor. I went to sleep. When I slept, the Holy Spirit visited me. And for the first time, I understood what it means that you grieve the Spirit of God. I never knew what it means to grieve God's Spirit. I knew that the Spirit of God was grieved. When I woke up, I have never cried like that in my life before. I cried myself so. I know what the Lord told me. He said, good. Devil knocked your door. You opened it wide and said, if you want to come in, come in. He said, that's nice. Do you know how many women desire this? And you sit down here and say, devil, if you like to come, come. For me, I didn't realize that what I said, but that's exactly what I said. You know, that Christian that is as ease, you know, you just think, it's okay, you, know? you need revival. And I knew that God had to touch my life. So that Christian that is at ease, things are going wrong. They're not going right. Yet you are comfortable in it. You're sitting in it. You are not ready to, to stand up and take your authority. You're not ready to, to, to put the devil in his place. I need revival if that is happening to me. I need God to revive me. Who is the Christian that needs revival? One that is not putting the kingdom of God first. That didn't get his that if I'm not getting my priority, I need revival. If the things of God are not the things that matter to me now and I'm seeking it, and before I do any other thing, the kingdom of God must come first. I need revival. Because what it means is that I'm just like the children of Israel that have gotten entangled in the business of the world, that the business of God does not become priority to me anymore. It may be in my thought, it may be in my words. It may be in my deeds. I'm so tired today. I beg, I can't go. I will go tomorrow. They're asking you, this needs to be done. And you know you should do it. You say, when I finish, maybe when I have enough, I'll try and see what I can give to them. You need revival. Because what it means is that your heart is not where God wants it to be. When the children of Israel returned back from captivity, when Nehemiah took them, after they had built the whole city, they had repaired the city, the wall, and everything. You know what happened to them? They didn't even want to stay in the city. Why? Because many of them had built their houses outside the city. 
And Nehemiah said, oh, we are building the city now. So let's volunteer. They had to volunteer people from every 10. They took one person. People have to keep here. You could see people whose heart have left the things of God. If not, the desire should have been, now that we have repaired the city, now that we have built the city, we should all go out, rush and go and live there. But because they had had their businesses in so many things, maybe that's where you are. Your heart is in so many things. There are so many things you have gathered around you that the business of God is not in priority. If that's where I am, I need to be revived. I need to be revived. Who else needs to be revived? Somebody with an unsound mind. What do I mean by unsound mind? Your thought life is not in conformity with God's word. You are fearful. Because when we read all these passages, you are fearful. If we're in that situation, we need to be revived. Let's look at Isaiah 55, 6 to 7. Isaiah 55, 6 to 7. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the evil man his thoughts. Let him turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on him to our God and he will freely pardon. You know, thought. If your heart your thought, the things you are thinking about, the way you are thinking about them, the kind of logic that, that goes in your head does not conform with the word of God. I need revival. That's what it also says to us in Philippians 4, 6 to 8. He said, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever, if that's not the way your heart is running, Philippians 4, 6 to 8, that's not the way my heart is running. He says, be not anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. Go on. You are doing six to eight. And the peace of God, which transcend all understanding, will guard your hearts and your mind in Christ Jesus. Eight. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, Think on such things. If my thought life is not conforming with this, then I need revival. God needs to. Because with God, it is not just my actions that he weighs. The Bible tells me he weighs my thoughts. Because the Bible says, out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Everything is first birth inside of you before you bring it out. So if my mind is not sound, I need revival. I need God to work on me. I need God to work on me. Who else needs revival? The stubborn and the self-willed. People who are head to their attitude, their opinion, their course of action, even when God says it is wrong. We are Christians, so we have an attitude, I have an opinion, I have a way of doing things, even when God says it's not wrong, I stick to it. 
And what do I tell myself? That is who I am. You know me. You know, there are some words we use. You know me. I would like to say my mind is the way it is. Who is interested in who your mind is? Who is interested in who your mind is? We're interested in the mind of God. The Bible says anything that comes out of our mind should edify, should exalt. So what is your mind? You don't have a mind in this matter. So if I am still self-willed and stubborn, I must have it my way. Even when God says that's not the way to go, I, I need, God needs to break that wheel. I need to be revived. I need to submit it to God. If, if that's the part of my life I'm struggling with God, I need to submit it. I need to let God have his way. Because God will never walk with an unwilling vessel. It's not possible. He says, if you are willing, that's what God says. You must be willing. And that's why even salvation is not by force. Because it's, not, it's God not able to make everybody saved if he wanted to. He has the power. But there must be the will. So if we are still stubborn and self-willed, we need to be revived. Let's look at Jeremiah 18, verse 12. Jeremiah 18, verse 12. But they will reply, it is no use. We will continue with our own plans. Each of us will follow the stubbornness. Each each of us will follow the stubbornness of his evil heart. You know, people who are determined, no matter what God says, no matter what they read in the scriptures, we are believers, but yet we must do what is in our mind. Who else need revival? The unequally yoked. I'm a Christian but I'm still equally yoked with an unbeliever. It may be in business. It may be in relationship. In anything, I need revival. God needs to visit me. Because there's no way God is going to walk with me when I'm carrying a burden he cannot walk with. I'd like us to read the one in Nehemiah. Nehemiah 13, 23 to 28. When the children of Israel were unequally yoked. Nehemiah 13, 23 to 28. So moreover, in those days, I saw men of Judah who had married women from Ashdod Ammon and Moab. Half of their children spoke the language of Ash Ashdod or the language of one of the, of the other people and did not know how to speak the language of Judah. I rebuked them and called curses down on them. I beat some of the men and pulled out their hair. I made them take an oath in God's name and said, you are not to give your daughters in marriage to their sons, nor are you to take their daughters in marriage for your sons 
or for yourselves? Was it not because of the marriages like these that Solomon, king of Israel, sinned? Among the many nations, there was no king like him. He was loved by his God, and God made him king over all Israel. But even he was led into sin by foreign women. Must we hear now that you too are doing all this terrible wickedness and are being unfaithful to God by marrying foreign women? One of the sons of Judah, son of Elashib, the high priest, was son-in-law to Sambalak, the Honorites, and I drove him away from me. You know, what Nehemiah was telling them, he was, he was reminding them, you see, you see Solomon in all his glory. God loved Solomon. And Solomon started well. He was one of the few kings that God visited. You know, God visited him twice. And God was one of the few people that God also gave an empty check. He said, what do you want me to do for you? And God blessed him. But he got himself unequally yoked. And in the process, he didn't end the way he started. So if I'm a, a believer and I'm still unequally yoked, I need revival. I need God to visit me. There's no way. There's no way I'm going to make it if I continue in that situation. It's not going to work. Look at what Nehemiah said. He said it was even as bad as it got to a point in time that even their children couldn't speak the Jewish language anymore. It may get to a point in time. If you continue on that road, you may not even be able to speak the, 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 the the Jesus language anymore. Because it will go from a level, one level of compromise to the other until you are neck deep in compromise. So if we are unequally yoked, we need revival. We need God to help us. We need to separate. And that can only come when the Lord revived us. Then lastly, who needs revival? the legalistic, the religious. When my life has become church as usual, the spirit of God is no longer at work. I'm just doing things mechanically. It's Sunday morning, we go to church. It's time for Bible study, we go. Uh, okay, come out children, let's do devotion. You know, we're just doing it because it has become a habit. The Holy Spirit is no longer moving. We're no longer hearing the spirit of God direct us, talk to us in everything that we do. Then we need revival. Because sometimes we can get there. We can get there. Especially maybe those of us who are born into Christian homes, you are a teenager, you are a young person, you have done this over and over again. When you were, since when you were born, that's what has been done in your house. So it has become religion to you. 
Bible says anybody that must worship God must worship him in what? In truth and in spirit. There's nothing like tradition or legality. No, God does not work in that way. Bible says he moves in mysterious. It's a different way God works. So you must be in tune with the spirit of God so that you can understand how God is moving. So if I'm still being religious or legalistic, I'm just doing it. I say to my wife, I don't come to church now. They'll come and call me and visit me and place. Let me just go. Today is Sunday. I need revival. Because what I'm doing now is religion. I'm not being moved by the spirit of God anymore. So if that's my state, I need revival. I need God, you know, to speak to me. Let's look at 2 Timothy 3, 5, and then we will pause. 2 Timothy 3, 5. Bible says, when we are religious, what do we have? It says we have a form of word, godliness. But we are denying the power. And it says, such people should have nothing to do with this. It's not something that should be happening in our life. Religion without power. Religion without power. You just go. No power, no strength. If that's our case, we need revival. We need revival. So at this point in time, I want, I want us to pause because that's exactly what I did. And I want us to pray. We've talked about so many things. I don't know why where you have identified yourself. I identified myself and I saw the areas where I need revival. And I want us to talk to God. Just look through the list. Anyone you can identify with and say, God, revive me. Maybe you're just the one that is thirsty. You just want God. That's for you. You're thirsty. I just want you, God. I'm thirsty. Or you realize that I'm just a sleeping Christian. There's so much that God can do through me. But I'm sleeping. I'm not allowing you. I'm just sleeping. Talk to the Lord. Or maybe I'm just simple. I take everything easy. And I know, no, that's not the way. I can't be simple. Or my at ease. When everything around me is wrong. I can't pray. I can't fast. I can't call upon the name of the Lord. I just sit there and do nothing. And allow everything to go wrong. Or oh, I've gotten my priorities wrong. I've just gotten entangled in so many activities. My business, my work, my all. And there's no room for God. God does not even have the time anymore. Or am I struggling with my thought life? Unwholesome thoughts, fear, doubt, unbelief. They are selling me left, right, and center. Cry to the Lord. Lord, I need revival. You need to renew my mind. I need to have the mind of Christ. Or am I stubborn and self-willed? It's the way I want it. God cannot intervene. He can't change it. He can't tell me, do it other in another way, it must be my way. Ask the Lord, revive me. Or are you unequally yoked? You know it. You're in a relationship that you ought not to be in. 
Tell the Lord this evening, Lord, revive me. Show me how to get out of it so that my life can transform. I've entered into deals and relationships that I ought not to be with. Father, help me tonight. Oh, Christianity has become religion for me. I know I've been coming to church. I do everything, but there's no power. There's no power, no authority. I'm just there. I just come every service I'm here. I just follow them to do what they are doing. But I know it's not there. Lord, help me. Revive me. Take me there. Put me where I ought to be. Help me so that I can renew my spiritual vitality. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So we'll continue with the study. Next one says, who will be revived? Who are those who will be revived? I say the first, the first set of people that will be revived are the lonely or the humble. Because if you tell yourself, I'm there, I don't need any revival. Well, I don't know. James chapter 4, verse 6. James chapter 4, verse 6. If you have it, please. Do we have it up there? James chapter 4, verse 6. Okay, I'll read. Go on, please. But he gives us more grace. That is why scripture says, God opposes the proud, but shows favor to the humble. Yeah. That's who God will revive. Two, he will also revive the contrite. Somebody whose heart is... Um, a closest word one can use is broken. You know, somebody whose heart is thoroughly repentant. That's the person that God will revive. Because for you to be revived, you must fall die. Somebody's heart is, you know, is broken. God will also revive the willing. We've said that before. You need to be willing. That's in James 4, 8. Please, can you just continue in that James James 4, 8, he says, come near to God and he will come near to you. Wash your hands, you sinners, 
and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Yeah. God will revive the one who is willing. You know, the, the, the beautiful thing is that we have the promise of God to always revive us. The reason is that God knows himself. Even Christ, when he was here, he told us very clearly, he said, you are, you are in this world, but you are not of the world. He said, I'm praying for you, not that God will take you from this world. But while you are here, that God will do what? Protect you. God knows it. That as long as we stay here, the temptation to compromise, you know, to get involved in the world is there. To lose focus. So we have the promise of God that continuously he will revive us. You know, um, my sister is here now. She, she got me these very beautiful clay pots that I like very well. And I put flowers there. And in fact, my husband used to tease me that the way I look, at this, look after these flowers, he doesn't even know that. He, whether I look after him as much as I look after my flowers. So one of the days she came to visit me, she said, ah, sis, I need to get you polished so that you can polish the flowers, the pot, so that they will shine again. Do you understand? I'm sure she observed that when she gave the pots to me a long time ago, the body was glittering, was shining. After seeing that very long time, I saw that, ah, this pot, you need to put something to shine it again. That's how you are as a Christian. Every time God is looking at me, he knows that you need to be revived. You know, what do we say? We say revival is like a renewal to bring you back there. It is a continuous thing. God needs to revive you, you know? And he gave us a promise that he would always revive. And I'd like us to read it in Isaiah 57, 14 to 19. Isaiah 57, 14 to 19. Yeah, somebody has a mic there. I would have loved it to be on the screen so that all of us could have followed. It's a very... Okay, yes, it's there. Okay. I Isaiah 57, 14. And it will be said, build up, build up, prepare the road. Remove the obstacles of the way of my people. For this is what the high and lofty one says. He who lives forever, whose name is holy, I live in a high and holy place. But also with him who is contrite and lowly in spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart. Of the contrite. We are going to 19. 16. All right. 16. I will not accuse them forever, nor will I always be angry. For then they would faint away because of me, the very people I have created. I was enraged by their sinful greed. I punished them and hid my face in anger. Yet they kept on in their willful ways. I have seen their ways, but I will heal them. I will guide them and restore comfort to Israel's mourners. 19. Creating praise on their lips. Peace. Peace to those far and near, says the Lord, and I will heal them. That is the promise of God. It is the will of God to always revive his people. 
he, he knows that there's no way we can walk with him if he doesn't continuously revive us. So it's the will of God, it's the plan of God that continually will be revived. We'd also look at Malachi 3.3. 3. Malachi 3.3. 3. Malachi 3.3. He will sit as a refiner and purifier of silver. He will purify the Levites and refine them like gold and silver. Then the Lord will have men who will bring offerings in righteousness. That's what God promised he would do. He himself will purify us. And when he has purified us, he himself will make us acceptable to himself. He said, then you will have men that will make offerings in righteousness. He himself will make us acceptable to him. That is the promise of God to us. But then what is our own part? We have the promise of God that he will revive us. We are not praying in vain. We are not asking him to do it in vain. He wants to do it. What is our own path? The first part is that as believers, wherever we are on this road, there must be repentance. You'll be asking me, ah, why will the believer be talking about repentance? You know that John tells us very clearly, 1 John chapter 1. He said, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is in, it's not in us. He said, but if we confess our sins, God wants us to continually bring ourselves, because that is the process of revival. When you continually bring your heart before the Lord, the Bible says, who can know the heart of a man? Save the spirit of God. He's the one that knows your heart, your thoughts, and your intent. So continually, you must bring it before the Lord if you want the Lord to revive you. Lord, weigh my thought. Weigh my heart. Am I thinking right? Am I doing it right? Just like David say, I say, you know, he says, search me, O God, and know my heart today. Try me, O Savior, know my thoughts, I pray. See if there be any word, wicked ways in me. You know, that's our own part in the revival, to continually bring our heart to God in repentance. Our part also is to open up to God. Is to open up to God. You know, when I started teaching, that's what I said. Anytime I look at, I hear that Dulce song, which says, you know, open up the channels of my heart. Open it up. Make room for God. Because if we don't open up to God, he will not be able to revive us. The simple way this explanation comes to me is like somebody wants to approach you and you are not approachable. And you know, like, let's talk about women now. A, a, a man or a brother is coming to you, maybe wants to say hello to you, and you touch your face. You just pass another side and say, this one, Abby. But if he's coming and you're smiling, you give a sense, you can talk to me, you're welcome, is it not? That's the same thing that happens before God. We need to open up. We need to open up. We need to allow our spirit 
And how do you open up to God? You need to make time for him. That's the way to open to God. You cannot, you cannot say, I want to open to God, and all you do is you are so busy, you rush into the presence of God. You have to have time. We need to open up to God. Maybe we should read Psalm 51, verse 10. I just, I'm just looking for a scripture that can bring that. Psalm 51, verse 10. Um, okay, so let's pray. You know, that's 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 a, a, a cry of a heart that is open to God. It's a create in me a pure heart, oh God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. You know, a heart that has somebody who is ready to say, God, I just need you to fill my heart. The next thing to do as an our part to making sure that the Lord can revive us is to accept God's authority over our lives. It may sound funny and say, can you refuse the authority of God over your life? Yes, you can. You can. And how do I refuse the authority of God over my life? When I refuse the word of God to be the final authority in all aspects of my life, I have refused the authority of God. Simple. When I refuse to let the word of God be the final authority over my life, I have refused the authority of God. How do I refuse the word of God to be the final authority? When I'm doing something and I read the word of God and the word of God tells me this is how God wants me to do it. And I tell myself, no, I'm not going to do it that way. What I've simply done is to refuse the authority of God over my life. Can we give an example that we can come to terms with? Let's take the example of forgiveness, for example. God has a word concerning it, Abby. And you tell yourself, no, I can't do this. This is too much. I cannot forgive. What I've simply done is I have refused the authority of God over my life. That's it's as simple as that. So for you to be revived, you must accept the authority of God over your life. His word must be the final say. Once God has said so, so that is it. That is the part to revive her. That is your own part. If you want God to revive you. And lastly, if you need the Lord to revive you, you must yield to the Holy Spirit. Because the Holy Spirit is the agent of revival. We must yield to his spirit. It is the agent of revival. It's the one that will make the word of God alive to you. Because the word itself is just a letter. But when the spirit of God takes that word, he quickens it and he makes it alive to you. So when you yield to the Holy Spirit, revival will come. 
Galatians 5.16. That's the last scripture we're going to read on this one, and then we'll take the conclusion. Galatians 5.16. When we yield to the Holy Spirit. So I say, live by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the sinful nature. Live by the Spirit. What does that mean? Live according to the instructions of the Holy Spirit. Live according to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And when you do that, you will not find yourself compromised. And I'm going to read the conclusion from what Hosea 6, 1, 2, 3 has says, is, I'm reading from the English Standard Version. It says, come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us that he may heal us. He has struck us down and he will bind us up. After two days, he will revive us. On the third day, he will raise us up that we may live before him. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going out is sure as the dawn. He will come to us as the showers, as the spring rains that waters the earth. God will revive us. The Bible says his going out is as sure as the dawn. He's certain. Promise us that he will come to us as showers, as the spring rain waters the earth. Revival has come. God has promised to revive us, and God will revive us. As long as we are willing, we are ready to play our part. Our heart is open unto the Lord. Surely he will revive me because we, 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 this team is personal. Surely he will revive you. Praise the Lord. So maybe I just pause for a minute or two. We can take any contribution or questions. Praise the Lord. Uh, 